Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be discussing the Tulsa Massacre. It's one of those that is not taught in history classes. I actually hadn't even heard of it until the Watchmen episode came out. I think it's important that we all educate ourselves and learn about these historical topics that have been buried in our nation's history. Let's get started. Here's what you need to know. The second largest city in its state, Tulsa, Oklahoma, was incorporated in 1898. After discovering oil in 1901, the town leaders promoted Tulsa as the oil capital of the world. Afterwards, Tulsa experienced an oil boom and its population skyrocketed. By 1920, it had over 70,000 residents and approximately 15,000 were black. Many of them lived in the community of Greenwood. Dubbed Black Wall Street, Greenwood was a thriving cultural and financial center with commercial businesses booming. 
Its affluent residents consisted of lawyers, doctors, entrepreneurs, and domestic workers for middle and upper-class white families on the white side of town. These workers invested back into the Greenwood community and spent the majority of their paychecks at the local businesses, helping the area thrive. By 1920, Greenwood had 108 Black-owned businesses, two theaters, a luxury hotel, a hospital, a library, two newspapers, and more than 20 churches. But the Black community's prosperity caused resentment among many of the city's white residents. The threat of violence was very real for Greenwood, especially as white prejudice worsened, not just in Tulsa, but in the entire country. After World War I, unemployment rates were rising. Jim Crow laws were in place in the South as well as in states in the West, and the rebirth of the KKK fueled the racial tension in the country. Lynchings of African Americans were on the rise, with over 40 recorded lynchings just in Oklahoma since it had become a state two decades ago. It is against this backdrop that the Tulsa massacre would occur. On Monday, May 30th of 1921, the city's Memorial Day festivities were in full swing. 17-year-old Sarah Page, a white female elevator operator, was working in the Drexel building in downtown Tulsa. Around 4 p.m., a 19-year-old black shoeshiner named Dick Rowland stepped into the elevator to go up to the segregated black bathroom on the top floor of the building. The play-by-play of what happened next inside the elevator is unknown, but moments later, Page screamed and Rowland ran away. A nearby white store clerk called the police. Page initially told police that Roland had tried to assault her. The next day, Roland was taken into custody. Roland told investigators he had tripped while entering the elevator, fell against Page, and accidentally stepped on her foot. Later that same day, Page corroborated that account. The Tulsa Tribune, a white-owned newspaper, ran a story about the alleged assault with the headline, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in an Elevator. It quoted Page as describing the encounter as such. A few minutes later, he entered the elevator, she claimed, and attacked her, scratching her hands and face and tearing her clothes. The Tulsa Race Riot Report mentioned several people who additionally recall an editorial that ran in the same paper with the headline, To Lynch Negro Tonight. But copies of the op-ed have not survived. It is believed someone destroyed all of them. By late in the afternoon of that Tuesday, a crowd of white Tulsans had gathered outside the courthouse where Roland was being held. Meanwhile, a group of 60 armed black men, mostly veterans, having heard what was happening, had organized and went to the courthouse. They offered to help protect Roland. The sheriff, Willard M. McCullough, knew the situation was getting heated, but deferred their offer. The previous year, Roy Belton, an 18-year-old white man arrested for hijacking and shooting another white man, had been taken from the Tulsa jail by a group of armed men and lynched. The incident led to fear in the black community about the ineptitude of the Tulsa policing and its jail system. In order to protect Roland from suffering the same fate as Roy Belton, McCullough put armed guards on top of the courthouse, disabled the elevators, and surrounded him with officers. Outside, a group of white men demanded McCullough hand Roland over. McCullough refused. By this point, there were over 1,000 white people congregated at the courthouse, many of them armed and shooting racially charged language. McCullough turned them all away. While they were leaving, a white man tried to disarm a black veteran. A shot was fired, 
then more shots. What transpired left 12 people dead in front of the courthouse. Two were black, 10 were white. By early the next morning, a white mob numbering more than 10,000 made their way to the Greenwood neighborhood with machine guns and cans of kerosene. While some Greenwood residents tried to fight back, they were quickly outnumbered by the white mob. Planes were flown to spy on the movements of the black community, and according to some, they were also used to bomb areas of Greenwood. White men, after looting the homes of black residents, set them on fire. Later, horror stories would emerge, like that of an elderly black couple who were saying their evening prayers when a mob broke in and shot both of them in the backs of their head. Then, after ransacking their belongings, set their home on fire. The burning, looting, and killing of the black community went on for two days. By the end of the massacre, the white mob had raised 36 square blocks, burned more than 3,000 homes to the ground, and killed as many as 300 people. Many of the dead were buried in mass graves or dumped into the Arkansas River. In addition to the 300 people killed during the massacre, up to 10,000 Greenwood residents were made homeless and left penniless. The neighborhood of Greenwood had been destroyed. Fun facts, aka death stats. Thousands of black Greenwood residents spent the winter of 1921 living in tents. It is estimated that in terms of today's dollars, the property loss in Greenwood exceeded $30 million. When the massacre ended on June 1st, the official death toll was recorded as 10 whites and 26 African Americans. Historians agree that the actual death toll is probably over 300, and most of those casualties were black. The hospital which treated black patients in Greenwood was burned, and many injured blacks had to be treated at the detention centers which had been established. The remaining hospitals in Tulsa were segregated and did not treat injured blacks because of their segregation policies. Rumors that Sarah Page and Dick Rowland knew each other and were in fact lovers began swirling shortly after the ensuing chaos, but there is no evidence of that beyond salacious gossip. Most historians agree that the account Roland gave to police of him tripping and accidentally stepping on her foot, the same account which was later corroborated by Page, was most likely what happened. After the riots, the Ku Klux Klan saw an opportunity in Tulsa and started an active chapter. Photos of the massacre showing the city burning and dead bodies on the street were used as postcards by white supremacists and KKK members to brag about what had happened. Sarah Page declined to press charges, and prosecutors eventually dropped the case. So with us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, and filling in for Chris Smith is fact checker Clayton Early. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Amanda. And our very special guest today is Randy Thompson. Hi, Randy. Hi, everybody. So Randy is a friend of ours from NYU, as well as the co-founder of the downtown LA comedy theater, The Ruby. Ruby LA is a uh, a theater that that a few of us started that was uh, essentially founded around the the values of intersectional feminism. Um, We promote marginalized voices in comedy and uh, do improv classes, acting classes, you know, and have shows and all sorts of things. 
And listeners can check out the Ruby by going to therubyla.com. That's nice. You guys got the .com. We had to do e- erios.net. It's so embarrassing. Oh, no. <laughs> Who's the other erios? Honestly, I don't know. I, yeah. I just think we couldn't afford the .com. <laughs> some, yeah, some dude who's just sitting on the domain name waiting for his money to roll in. Yeah, well, joke's on him. <laughs> so I think we should dive right in. You know, where do we start? Uh, probably the most obvious culprit of the massacre. Uh, we can start off by just putting racism on the board. <laughs> just white people. Right. I literally have down yeah, white people. White bitterness. Right. <laughs> Good. Of course, like you can go to college and get a PhD in order to understand the full context of just the state of racism in the US before and during the massacre. But let, let's, you know, go through a few things just to kind of set the scope for our listeners. So 1863, we have the Emancipation Proclamation and slavery in the U.S. Of course, many slaves in the South were not freed until years later. It takes a while to get the word out. 1898, we have the recession of the late 19th century. It hits. And U.S. night riders went out in the dark, burning homes of African-Americans who bought their own land. They rode up to Washington to demand change as Southern white Democrats rolled back many of the, albeit limited freedoms from Reconstruction just a couple of decades before. So taking steps backwards already. 1915, the film Birth of a Nation. I'm going to say let's put Birth of a Nation up just while we're at it. (laughs) Up on the board. (laughs) Okay. Fair. So Birth of a Nation comes out 1915. According to History.com, the film depicts the KKK as valiant saviors of a post-war South ravaged by northern carpetbaggers and immoral freed blacks. It's important we talk about it because one uh, one of the many terrible things that the film depicts is the idea that black men are unable to contain their sexual urges toward white women and that no white woman could be safe near any black man. And it actually stirs up the revival of the KKK. Now, something that I found interesting was that before 1915, before the film comes out, uh, the Klan had never burned crosses. Yes. This is something that's in the film. And it was actually something that the director... D.W. Griffith just thought it was like visually like cool. And then the the, the KKK actually takes that on. So he actually gave them this grand idea. We have Birth of a Nation up on the board. I mean, D.W. Griffith, I I guess the Birth of the Nation kind of encompasses the director. Yeah, I feel like you could put him in as a, a parenthetical. I, I don't think that we've ever like put so many things up on the board so quickly. On the show. <laughs> yeah, so far we have racism, white people, birth of a nation. It's kind of like racism is the umbrella, and we're just right. putting all the little bullet points underneath it. Yeah. it seems like white. It seems like white people is the umbrella, and it's just what kind of white <laughs> offense is uh, responsible. <laughs> white people. Is it their white, white racism? Is or always the umbrella. Nineteen nineteen. We have the Red Summer. Several things happened in the U.S. during this time. African uh, Americans helped fight for the U.S. during the World War One. 
in huge numbers. And when they come back, they're walking down the streets uh, of southern towns that they had just left a year or two earlier, and they're being spit on. So things are actually much worse once they come back. Another factor was the success of black sharecroppers. So according to The Nation... Uh, African-American cotton growers were actually making money in 1919 because there was a huge worldwide demand for cotton for textiles. Everyone needed clothing after the war, and they were buying houses, cars, land. Small southern white towns suddenly felt threatened. So the white Tulsan residents were actually starting to become resentful of not just the fact that they were making money, but in particular, they were living in this really nice area of town that they themselves had built, spending their own paychecks. Yeah. Well, and I think the Greenwood section was built intentionally as a black area that the developer had bought up plots of land that basically would only sell to black residents at the time. So it wasn't even just like they were segregated in this into this part of town and then made it nice. It was that it was from the, from its design designed to be a, a black section of town that was then, you know, successful. They're saying post civil war that Oklahoma began to be promoted as a safe haven for African-Americans um, and that uh, a, a gentleman named O.W. Gurley, uh, a wealthy black landowner, purchased 40 acres of land in Tulsa, naming it Greenwood after the town in Mississippi. And he started with a boarding house for African-Americans. And as word spread, more and more people flocked to the community. And it was basically, quote, for black people, by black people. So I know that Greenwood was affluent, but were the surrounding areas really poor or were the white neighborhoods nice too? And they were just angry that the black neighborhood was just as nice. Or was it mostly the poor whites who were kind of leading this? There were some very wealthy white people in Tulsa They had yeah. um, who had struck oil. And that was a big incentive for the black community to move there because many of them were domestic workers and that was the kind of work that they could find. What happens, though, is that there's a depression that hits in 1920 to 1921. World War I has just ended, and this is according, according to FEE.org. Officials found themselves in a bleak position. U.S. officials. The federal debt had exploded because of wartime expenditures and annual consumer price inflation rates had jumped well above 20% by the end of the war. To restore fiscal and price sanity, the authorities implemented what today strikes us as incredibly merciless policies. From 1919 to 1920, federal spending was slashed from $18.5 billion to $6.4 billion, a 65% reduction in one year. The unemployment rate peaked at 11.7% in 1921. Which, by the way, what is our unemployment rate right now? Well, how many of us are unemployed and we can <laughs> run the Just numbers? a small sample size. So I, 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 to answer your question, Amanda, I think that while there were a lot of rich uh, white you know, people living there, there was also like a very large, poor white community. What do you think? I, I feel like we should put unemployment rates up on the board. I mean, I think for a lot of reasons, it feels like a lot of people are ready. Like there were there were just like a lot of canisters of gasoline 
left, left laying around that are ready to like explode. And it just, I feel like we're seeing a ton of that right now in, in different ways. And I'm, I'm not at all saying that that's, you know, the singular cause there of, of unrest, but it, it definitely feels like that was a, a big contributor that, you know, the country has been for two months plus locked down just on Facebook, getting madder and, you know, everybody's out of work. Everybody's mad about it. And it's it certainly, I, I feel like was a, a big contributor to like things exploding as quickly as they did. Right. If not, you know, it's not the reason, yes. but not the cause. Um, so I have a, a suggestion, maybe kind of going more specific than white people might be white entitlement. Okay. Like just this feeling that they are the rage they were feeling that black people had as much as they had. I think, too, there was, you know, in, in a lot of areas in the South, there were large classes of white people who were working, you know, alongside of the slaves who were who were um, maybe considered a- around the same social class, maybe not as slaves during slavery, but that when after after they were freed, there was a kind of top down effort to instill this idea for to those people that you are better than them and create kind of resentment among the the poorer classes to say you know yeah maybe you don't have everything you want but you deserve more than this this person does and creating like enshrining that resentment so that there isn't a a larger class of people who are looking around and saying the system isn't fair we need to do something about this you know the the landowners the wealthy the the people who were in charge of government at the time were had a vested interest in making sure that any poor white person believed in their heart that a a poor black person is as a default less than them that they are you know creating that separation right there so do we think that's entitlement or is it resentment or is it both i mean i think entitlement is good because i think it covers both the the people kind of at the top, the the wealthier class in this country of whites who were interested in, in maintaining their own status and also the poorer class who were then kind of whether or not they believed this or or they were manipulated into believing it then felt like, you know, I'm better than you are. I feel so like I, I like entitlement. Yeah. Piggybacking right. off of that, I just want to throw in there, which is something I throw on in there every time I'm on your show is I know is, what you're um, going to say. Money? Oh, no. Money. What did you think he was going to say? I I thought he was going to talk about uh, the thin line between uh, status quo and utter chaos. Well, that that is that never goes away. That's always going to be. And honestly, that's also part of this. That's also like, oh, okay, we're all fine. Okay, thin line broken. Okay, it's chaos. Yeah. But but what I mean is, in, in terms of what Randy was just saying, it's all about like, who has economic opportunity? Who has money? How do you keep people, you know, if you're the government on top running things, how do you keep people thinking they are worthy or not worthy? Like yeah. money corrupts so many things. And if you could yeah. make it not about money, but about race and scapegoating right. and discrimination, then it's all like, let them infight while we make all the money over here. For sure. Okay. So what's that called? Like, um, it's like race is a code word for money. Capitalism? Capitalism is what I've Capitalism. said. Capitalism. <laughs> That's the word. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll put it on the board. It's not the point. But. Yeah. I mean, so I, don't, up on the board. I don't know. I feel like there's there's definitely arguments for capitalism 
playing a huge role. Exacerbating. I mean, we're 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 not there yet, but there's like a whole other theory about land speculation leading towards Greenwood's destruction. Oh okay, yes, Queen. apologies, okay. you might be onto something. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that apology, man. <laughs> Before, well, I mean, we can talk about that real quick because I, I don't think we say that in the "Here's what you need to know" section, which is after the the massacre and after the you know these this whole. T- section of town is burned to the ground the uh white people in the you know in the city they start trying to buy this land from the the you know black landowners and it was it was like you know they wanted to pay pennies on the dollar you know yeah and and it was and and I think you're right in that, Randy. Where it, it really feels like they were trying to acquire this part of the city, not just because they didn't like, they resented the fact that it was doing well, but also because as the city was growing out, it turned out that Greenwood was kind of it, it was a nice location, and they did everything they could in order to take this land away from uh, the residents, and it, it wasn't. It was only because of these. Uh, black lawyers who fought and helped these uh, property owners retain their their property that it, they were able to maintain it. Oh boy, would I like to see a movie about that? <laughs> sort of mm. like 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 um, an Aaron Brockovich, <laughs> yes, like, Tulsa version. Oh my god, that's a good idea, Amanda. We should write it. We'll well, start I don't today. think we should write it. <laughs> Someone else. More uh, more truth has never been spoken. <laughs> so good. So let's talk about the Tulsa police. The New York Times said that the massacre that occurred was, quote, enabled by the Tulsa police chief uh, by the name of John Gustafson, who deputized hundreds of of white men on the spot. So after the initial gunfire at the courthouse, all hell broke loose, according to the Oklahoma Commission report. And this is what it says. Quote, at police headquarters on 2nd Street, nearly 500 white men and boys, many of whom only minutes earlier had been members of the lynch mob, were sworn in as special deputies. According to Laurel G. Buck, a white bricklayer who was sworn in, the police instructed the new recruits to get a gun and get a Negro. Shortly afterwards, the whites began breaking into downtown pawn shops and hardware stores, stealing guns and ammunition. Eyewitnesses later testified that uniformed Tulsa policemen took part in some of the break-ins, handing out guns to whites. And there were even reports that the police took part in aerial attacks on the neighborhood. According to the Chicago Defender, who ran a story on October of 1921, short uh, months after, it said that, Quote, a former Tulsa policeman identified as Van B. Hurley, who was white, had signed a 31-page affidavit in which he claimed city officials and law enforcement officers planned and carried out an aerial attack on Greenwood. Hurley asserted that the airplanes darted from hangars and hovered over the district, dropping nitroglycerin mm. on buildings yeah. and setting them on fire. I'm just going to throw in a quick fact that all of these things that you're talking about, none of these criminal acts, this is according to TulsaHistory.org, none of these criminal acts 
was then or ever has been prosecuted or punished by government at any level, municipal, county, state, or federal. And even after the restoration of order, it was official policy to release a black detainee only upon the application of a white person, and then only if that white person agreed to accept responsibility for that detainee's subsequent behavior. Mm -hmm. So McAuliffe, the sheriff... He His behavior is a little bit odd, right? Because first, he will not release Roland over to the white mob. But then the black veterans that come in, he sort of calls them in, but then refuses to let them protect Roland. But is the idea that he's sort of purposefully inciting chaos amongst these two groups? Well, that's the speculation. So McAuliffe, the backstory on McAuliffe is that he's new to the job. He, the last guy, uh, that was the, the sheriff lost the job because of the white man who got lynched the year before, right? Hmm. McAuliffe is the new guy. He's new to the position and he's scared of losing it if something happens to Roland. So it's almost like self-interest motivated. He's just trying to protect his job versus caring about the well-being. I think once everything kind of blew up, is then a lot of members of the police force, if not the whole police force, and then members of the National Guard as well. You know, after they had deputized all these men and kind of created a, a militia, that's when it everybody joined in. I think prior to that, I think you're right. I think he had he had contacted local black leaders who then were turned away when they got there. They were, you know, they arrived to help, and then I and I I remember reading that he had he had basically initially trying to prevent something like this from happening and when the the uh veterans showed up who were all armed to protect roland i think the inciting event correct me if i'm wrong was that someone tried to disarm one of those veterans a a member of the white crowd there was like something like a thousand white people who had gathered and like 60 of these veterans who were armed someone had tried to disarm one of them and then there was a struggle and then shots fired into the crowd and then from then on it was just kind of off and running and all it took was that spark it's really like we're trying to identify what was the spark that let like made all this tension come to a head Mm -hmm. yeah you know so we should put mcculliffe up there of course we should put the chief of police john guffs gustafson he's the only one who you know who actually goes uh, uh you know up against a grand jury and he is indicted of, on, on five counts. Well, I shouldn't say he's the only one who goes up against the, the grand jury. Many black men went up against the grand jury. Of course, most of the charges are dropped. Essentially, all I'm saying is he's removed from office and no criminal charges are brought against him. And he just resumes his occupation as a private detective. Great cool. for him. <laughs> I smell a big slot. Um, so we only have a, we we're winding down on putting people up on the board. So let's get the uh, the last few up. And oh my um, god, Randy, we have so many. Clayton, if you have Ugh. any more to throw up, now is the time. Do we put Sarah Page on the board? I do think that we should put Sarah Page on the board. Um, not a lot is known about Sarah Page. All they say is that she's seventeen year old orphan. Um, who was this? Uh, who who was new? She was from Kansas City or something, and she was new to town and was paying for herself to go to school. You know, there there's a lot of speculation, like whether they knew each other, whether she and Roland knew each other, whether it was uh, they had like some kind of love affair. But that that's all just like very salacious yeah. gossip, you know. Yeah. Um. What is mostly agreed upon is that 
he tripped and stepped on her. And I think it was something like the same day that she basically <clears throat> recanted and said, corroborated Dick Rowland's story, right? I yeah. feel like that kind of rolls into another culprit, which is the, all the, the gossip that started around the incident. Yeah. Even like during the fighting, there was like, I'm reading there's lots of like gossip about more people are coming with more weapons on both sides that like, yeah. you know, escalated. And also what the media, like what the newspapers were saying about what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should put the Tulsa Tribune up on the board. For sure. <laughs> uh oh, Randy has thoughts look, on the Tulsa Tribune. Well, look, I don't want to get, I don't want to be Trump about this, but this, there was the story that basically Tanaba Negro was the story that basically set everything alight. And then there's, there's also reports in that the, I was reading that there's no no one can find any evidence of this story other than people's uh, eyewitness accounts that there was another story that was basically like, we are going to go lynch this guy tonight. Everybody meet at this point. Here's the address. Like it was basically a effort, an effort on the part of the paper to stir up this exact situation. And so I absolutely think that 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 had an impact for sure. For sure. Put them up on the yeah. <laughs> Fuck those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think to me, you know, actions speak louder than words in the sense that afterwards they totally made sure that no copies survived. What? There yeah. are no copies of this of these stories. Of there, yeah. I think there's a copy of one of the stories, but there the there were first plenty. one. Yes reporting on the the original the Roland Page incident yeah but the but there were op-eds that followed that were totally destroyed yes. wow so if that's not sketch i don't know what is mhm amanda do we have the national guard up on the board i'll put them up they were then called in after the police you know had, uh, obviously couldn't con- you know quote unquote they were just helping, right? And they, they call in the National Guard saying this is out of control. And the National Guard then shows up. And, of course, what they do is they just stand in front of white people's properties, businesses, and houses, and, and just wait for the retaliation they thought was coming that never came. This is going to be a hard process of elimination. (laughs) (laughs) All of the above. But I know one that might Uh. get them all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Let's take a moment to speak with our guest expert, Tim Madigan, author of The Burning, Massacre, Destruction, and the Tulsa Race Riot of 1921, and hear what he has to say about the Tulsa Massacre. So... Can you walk us through the events of Monday the 30th? Dick Rowland was a young shoeshine boy who worked in White Tulsa. It was clearly he, he was familiar with and perhaps even had a romantic relationship with a white young woman, a white uh, woman who ran an elevator in one of the downtown high rises. One day, Dick Rowland gets on the elevator with him, and it's unclear exactly what happened, whether he tripped and fell into her or something else happened. Next thing you know, she's screaming assault, and uh, Dick Rowland disappears, please, because it was a very bad thing for a young black man to be accused of assaulting a white woman. The police later determined, even though Rowland was arrested, the charge, there's probably nothing to the accusations. 
and I think that they were uh, Dick Rowland was being held in jail as much for his own protection as anything else. And if things probably would have died there, uh, were it not for kind of a race baiting newspaper man in Tulsa by the name of Richard Lloyd Jones, who published a front page editorial of his paper on on May 31st under the headline "To Lynch Negro Tonight," and within a few minutes, hundreds of people had gathered around the courthouse uh, where Roland was being held. And the paper also made its way to Greenwood, the black community, where or the, the, these veterans read it, took up arms, and uh, basically said, hell no, it's not happening here. They went down to the courthouse to offer their uh, services to the white sheriff. And uh, during one of these visits, late, uh, probably about 1030 at night on the 31st, a shot was fired and all hell broke, broke loose. And that's where the bloodshed began. The blacks fell back across the tracks and they're preparing for what everyone knew was coming. And, and at uh, just after 5 a.m. the following morning, there was a whistle. There was a signal to this mob of about 10,000 people who were, had been situated uh, strategically around the Greenwood neighborhood to begin the attack. And I think by noon uh, of that day, the community had been pretty much obliterated. Listen to our full interview with Tim Madigan on this Thursday's episode of The Aftermath. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Alarmist. Okay, so on the board for who's to blame for the Tulsa massacre, white people, racism, birth of a nation and director D.W. Griffith, unemployment, white entitlement, capitalism, Tulsa police, Sheriff McAuliffe, chief of police, John Gustafson, Sarah Page, the Tulsa Tribune, the National Guard, and the rumor mill. I mean, I feel like like the National Guard, you can't blame them. They just showed up and exacerbated and like were racist. Yeah. They certainly didn't help. I do think the Tulsa Tribune is very high up there for me. And the rumor mill, in a way, we can probably take the rumor mill off because it was agitated by the, the Tulsa Tribune. Yeah, I agree. I kind of think maybe Sheriff McAuliffe we could take off because I think the chief of police is worse than McAuliffe, who McAuliffe seemed a little bit more like he was not a strong leader and he was sort of chaotic. But I don't know. It's hard to really um, prove intent on his part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we could do is kind of put the, the Sheriff McAuliffe and the chief of police with the and just call it the Tulsa Police Department. And I think the police chief... He he is one of the ones who was actually the uh, handing the guns to the white mm-hmm. mob and, te- right. and 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 at- telling them. So, should we take capitalism off? Yeah, I think it exacerbates, but I don't think it's the cause. It's tough because, like, you could definitely blame slavery on capital capitalism for slavery. Mm. We're all just staring at this board. <laughs> <laughs> like, what I know, I know. I'm going to suggest we take off Birth of a Nation because obviously we'd love to put that in jail, but I don't know if we can specifically pin it on that for this. It, yes, it yeah. didn't start the massacre. Yeah, It didn't start the massacre, but it did flare up tensions. But yes. yes, I guess in that case, we can take off unemployment. It feels like an underlying definite uh like an underlying um, circumstance, but maybe not the the cause of this specifically. I think I'm trying to to sort out because all of the the main kind of unrest started at the courthouse. And then after the shots were fired, after the attacks started, the veterans retreated towards green Greenwood. And then that's when kind of the looting, the major destruction, the rioting and the, the destruction of Greenwood all kind of went off so that to me, it's like there's the initial stuff that happens at the courthouse. And then there is everybody getting handed a gun and told to go chase those Mm -hmm. guys and follow them to Greenwood that then leads to the actual worst of the destruction. I think, I think that going off of that too, I think what you were saying, yes, there was that initial scuffle where, I believe it was two black men and 10 white men were killed. And after that, there was when during the retreat, there was a period of this rumor being that there was a black uprising, which maybe was perpetuated by the fact that more white people were killed in that initial incident than than black people. I mean, I know we took rumor mill off there, but there's something in there about like the snowball effect of 
the right. story that they were telling themselves to amp themselves up for the violence. Well, that could be the, the Tulsa Tribune and or the Tulsa police, who obviously the right thing would have been to do to try to de-escalate the situation. But right. Right. And I did not. Everything I've read is. Yeah, exactly. Is said that they've kind of they've been they were only escalating. It sounds about right. That was on their (laughs) uniform, like a patch. (laughs) We only escalate. Yeah. Right. To protect Um, whites and escalate. (laughs) That hasn't changed much. The pledge. Um, Is there something to say about like the the white fear of the black man is that what like caused the panic i don't know i feel like that's almost letting the white mob off the hook because yeah, to say that sure. it was coming from fear to me seems like a cover for it coming from greed and entitlement mm-hmm. like for I- sure mm-hmm. i mean that's a, i mean everything we've talked about too is a, a, about them feeling jealous of the upward mobility of these quote-unquote inferior immoral people yeah, and I guess to say it's panic means that it, it, if it's on the spot, it's been brewing for, you know, hundreds of years. Also, if you're scared, you don't go out and murder and burn someone's house down. You, like, hide in your own house. <laughs> That's true. True. I mean, I I do think you're onto something, though, because it, like, at its root, doesn't it feel like maybe that it is fear of losing what you have or fear, fear of someone else basically supplanting you in terms of, like, a power structure? I mean, I... I don't know that. I don't know. It, it, it entitlement, I guess, enco- it, it encapsulates that too. But it does feel like they're at it at its root. Ultimately, it's it's a it a it's terror that the things that you have accumulated or the status that you've established for yourself is going to go away because of these other people. Maybe someone we could talk about that we might be able to eliminate or not is Sarah Page. Yeah, I have a, I have such a hard time with this because I keep going back and forth where I'm like, you know, she did recant pure speculation. Now, it's as likely to me that she was coerced by yeah. police officers to maybe g- say that this was a little bit more aggressive than it was. It's or it's just as likely that she got freaked out and screamed and then people responded and she didn't know what else to do. And so she just, you know, or she just was a bad person and made the shit up. I mean, I hate to use like an internet term, but isn't she kind of a Karen? For sure. <laughs> I could just see her being a, a little Tulsa Karen. Well, here's, and here's something that <laughs> she's a little Tulsa Karen. Um, something that I read that's helping me kind of maybe take her off the board is, is in, so this is from the, um, the commission commissioned to study this from Tulsa. In the report, it says that a clerk from a clothing store located on the first floor of the building heard what he thought was a woman's scream, and apparently seeing Dick Rowland flee the building, he rushed to the elevator where he found her distraught. He decided she'd been a victim of attempted sexual assault and summoned the police. So I do... Yeah, so I feel like a little bit better about... She didn't go to the police and then say this happened. Mm-hmm. This other guy said, you know, heard a scream and then called the police. And so Assumptions. maybe, yeah. So who's this clerk? Let's put I him on, in her the place. The clerk is the Karen. Mm-hmm. Let's put the clerk up. It, oh, was, it was definitely I mean, we're a taking clerk. things down, Rebecca. I don't normally <laughs> on the board at this point. Just so people know, we've got, uh, why don't we take National Guard and capitalism off the board? Mm-hmm. Um, and so people know what we've got going on. It's white people, racism, white entitlement, Tulsa police, chief 
uh, Gustafson and the Tulsa Tribune. Do you? I, I think like we can put Gustafson with the Tulsa police. Here's a big question for us: Are we going for racism? Because if we hmm. want to put racism in the jail, we can do it today. But I don't know if we're feeling like we want to get more specific for Tulsa. Right. It's like, do we are we blaming the the underlying cause of all of the unrest or are we blaming the very specific thing that set this event off, I guess, is is how do we I think without the underlying cause, it's hard for this to blow out of proportion. I think we can't separate the two. And that makes me feel like we should blame racism. (laughs) And white entitlement is a part of that. White entitlement is a product of racism, or is racism a product of white entitlement? So racism, to me, encapsulates encapsulates all of the, the structural conditions, political, legal you know, moral, everything that was the the structural setup that allowed for white superiority. So it's, I mean, it's, it's the playing field, right? White entitlement is, I guess, one expression of that for me. The person standing there with a gun thinking, I need to go destroy this business because I'm better than those people or I want what they have or I want them to not have what they have. That to me is a condition. It's one of the like expressions of racism, but it isn't like to, to me. I mean, like I, when I talk about racism, I think more in terms of like the structural setup and not in terms of like just hatred and expression of hate. Right. And, right. and so I think in this instance, like racism was the foundation, like it was the world that everybody was living in. But the, the like the idea that these specific people wanted to n- destroy what those other people had was an expression, I think, of of white entitlement. OK, I, I agree with that. I like that, too, because I think just it's so specific. What is like so insane about this is that like something that was so awesome, which was this black community thriving, was just like so triggering for these white people that they had to destroy it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Right. It was a threat somehow. When it was really taking nothing away from them. And like there's something to me a little bit more um, has a little bit more bite to send white entitlement. I think the three that we can leave up on the, you know, and between these, we can we have to figure out who the 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 big slap is going to. But we have white entitlement, Tulsa police and Tulsa Tribune. Yeah. So are we all into sending white entitlement to jail and then let's deliberate between Tulsa police and Tulsa Tribune who we think gets the big slap? Yes. I'm behind that. Yeah. I'm behind that. That Mm -hmm. works. It's hard for me to let the police off the hook. Setting aside anything that's happening right now, literally just speaking about the, this police department in yes. this event, it feels like their charge and the, the charge of police in general is to protect the, its citizens, protect the citizens, right? It's, it's to serve as a barrier between chaos and order. And so in abandoning that and participating in that, it does feel more egregious to me than just like, you know, oh, we let this happen. Like deputizing people and handing guns out and being like, go get a Negro. It's it's so antithetical to what they are there to be doing that it feels like 
I I feel like that's a little bit more um, blameworthy than than yes, just riling people up. Yeah, percent agree with that. I feel like because even if the Tribune hadn't happened, you still have police handing out guns to drunk white men who would then incite violence. Uh, We also we sometimes will allow a backhand. Mm-hmm. Oh, know. let's let's bring it on. We need it. Yeah, if ever there was a <laughs> we need to get a backhand slap. It feels like Tulsa Tribune earned it. I'm gonna call it Tulsa Police. You're getting the big slap. Tulsa Tribune, you got the backhand. White entitlement. You're going to the alarmist jail. I can't believe we got through that. Massive- I know we fixed it. We fixed it. If we only knew it was that easy back then. Just do a podcast. (laughs) Just do a podcast. (laughs) Well, Randy, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of who's doing it. It was such an honor. After the massacre, a period of martial law immediately followed the massacre as the city attempted to rebuild. The governor demanded a full inquiry into what happened and swore that people would be held responsible. He ordered that a grand jury investigate the cause of the riot and massacre. After listening to 12 days of interview and testimony, the all-white male jury concluded, quote, We find that the recent race riot was the direct result of an effort on the part of a certain group of black men who appeared at the courthouse on the night of May 31st, 1921, for the purpose of protecting one Dick Rowland, then and now in the custody of the sheriff of Tulsa County for an alleged assault upon a young white woman. There was no mob spirit among the whites, no talk of lynching, and no arms. The assembly was quiet until the arrival of the armed blacks, which precipitated and was the direct cause of the entire affair. The grand jury recommended further racial segregation so that, quote, a proper relationship may be maintained between the two races. Despite the overwhelming evidence to the contrary, no whites were ever sent to prison for the murders and arson that occurred. Very few insurance claims were paid to the black businesses and homeowners of Greenwood because most policies excluded riot damage from coverage. According to AmericanHistoryUSA.com, The Tulsa race riot of 1921 was rarely mentioned in history books, classrooms, or even in private. Blacks and whites alike grew into middle age unaware of what had taken place. With the number of survivors declining in 1996, the state legislature commissioned a report to establish the historical record of the events and acknowledge the victims and damages to the black community. you think is to blame by going to the alarmistpodcast.com follow us at the alarmist the on twitter at the alarmist podcast on instagram or email us at the alarmist podcast at gmail.com tune in next week we'll be discussing the stonewall riots Powered by ACAST. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.